Amen. Thank you, Earl and Sarah. Just beautiful. That's a, for those of you that don't know, that's a, a father and daughter. And uh, if you look at your screen, of course, we're back in our study on uh, the Gospel of John, a journey of faith. Today is homecoming. Usually on homecoming, I show a, a lot of pictures, but we've, we're not going to do that today. We put many of those pictures, we put them uh, on Facebook. So go in there and look for the homecoming pictures, pictures of homecomings and old-fashioned days. Uh, so uh, go in there and enjoy those. But I couldn't help but show at least a few pictures. And here's one. Can you tell who that is? Earl and Sarah, 21 years ago. And uh, Sarah is expecting her second child now. So they've been singing a long time together. And then here's two young preachers. I don't know if you'll recognize them or not. That's been a lot of years ago. I, I figured this was about 30, uh, 31 years or more ago. And Dr. Miller and myself. And then about 21 years ago, it was old-fashioned day again. And this time, we looked more like riverboat gamblers or something uh, in that one. So a uh, few pictures there uh, because of homecoming. So you be sure and view the rest of them. That's uh, on uh, Facebook. So we're in John chapter 6 now. We come to this great chapter. If you have your Bibles, turn with me wherever you are. And let's look at this great passage uh, together. John, of course, is the human author. He's in his 90s. He's looking back on these things that happen. And the Holy Spirit is moving him along. Uh, carrying him along. Uh, and inspiring him to write but he's looking back at what happened to him some 60 years ago and telling us these stories. We come to two miracles. The miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And also just, just after that in the same chapter is Jesus walking on the water. Um, two great miracles. The feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle that's repeated in all four Gospels. That makes it very significant. Um, John's writing, you remember the others wrote about 30, 40 years before John, that is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so John, most of John's material, about 90% of what John wrote uh, was original in the sense that it was not included in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But here... He repeats a miracle that was in all three Gospels. It's the only place in the Bible where that takes place. Um, people have wondered why. I think it's because, I think it's obvious, it's because he wanted to include Jesus' teaching on Jesus being the bread of life. That sermon flows right out of these miracles. And he wanted to share the miracles so that the message would make more sense and have a greater impact. And so he included this great text. Well, with that said, let's look at verse 1. It says, After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Um, same name, same sea, of course. It just uh, Tiberias uh, came along a little later. And uh, verse 2, and a, and a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles. 
which he did on them which were diseased. So a great crowd follows him. That's the setting for the feeding of the 5,000. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for our time together today. Thank you for the beautiful singing today. And uh, thank you for your blessings of these 81 years. Speak to us now in this moment in time. This is our generation. This is our time. And we ask you speak to us right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We've had some wonderful people in our church over the years. God's been so good to us. I, around homecoming, I start thinking about them. The deacons, uh, the great deacons we've had. Many of them passed away. And, and trustees, Sunday school teachers, and so forth. And, and just the people who, who just love the Lord. Lovers of Christ. Who fill our pews every week. And who now are watching from home. And we're very thankful for our church family. Two interesting characters in our church family. I mentioned them last week in my Pastor Connect on Monday. Maybe you saw it. Uh, Two sisters, Margaret and Mary. They were unique in the sense that they grew up in this particular house with other siblings and mom and dad. But the two of them had never been married and they had never lived anywhere else. They lived in that same house all of their lives. And they were dear, sweet ladies. I met them when, when I was around 30, 35. That would have put them at about uh, 75 or 80. Uh, maybe closer to 80. And we became great friends. They were like great aunts to me. And uh, they were such dear Christians. They loved the Lord. They trusted the Lord. And it, they were so kind to everyone, kind to each other. A little bit like Chip and Dale. You remember that old cartoon, Chip and Dale? The, the, uh, the uh, what were they? Uh, chipmunks, yeah. And, and they would, you know, one was going to go through the door. He said, you go first. No, you go first. Oh, no, please, you go first, and so forth. That's kind of the way these sisters were. They were so kind to each other. And, and it was very genuine. And uh, they told a lot of great stories. I thought about a, a story they told me for this morning. Th- they told me that uh, one time they had trouble with their sewing machine. Now, they, they never worked outside the home. Maybe they did. One of them did for a s- small amount of time in the middle of their life. But... They took in sewing and they sewed for people and they made blankets and quilts and things like that. So their sewing machine was very important and it was very old. When I say old, I'm talking about really, really old. No way to buy parts for it or anything like that. You had to just keep it going. And so they took in sewing and and one day their sewing machine quit working. And quit working correctly. So they began to look through and see what they could figure out. And sure enough, they found a rubber washer. A small one, about the size of the end of an eraser on a pencil. Maybe a little bigger than that, but pretty close to that size. And it was broken. and, and, uh, And they didn't have anything to replace it, of course. So they began to talk to themselves. What are we going to do? And... And they said, uh, well, we, can't find, we can never find one to fit this machine. And, and uh, so one of them said something like, well, we'll just have to do it all by hand. 
If this is what the Lord's given us to do, we'll sow it all by hand. And the other one said, that's, that's right, we will. And uh, whatever the Lord gives us to do. And so as they were talking about it, one of them said, you know, that, that round washer looks a little bit like the tire on a, on a little toy car. And the other one looked at it, yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. Then they thought, well, where, would we, where could we get a toy car? They didn't have any children or grandchildren. And they, they thought about it. They didn't even know anyone who had small children. So they said, uh, well, we don't know. We'll just sew by hand. And so then they prayed. And they prayed something like this. Lord, whatever you want from us, that's what we'll do. And we're just looking to you to meet the need. We'll sew by hand. And uh, so they committed it to the Lord. Cast their cares on the Lord. And uh, so... Uh, about two weeks later, somebody brought some pieces uh, for them to sew quilts together, quilt pieces. And they had two or three bags of material. And, and uh, so uh, when the person left, uh, Margaret and Mary, they, they dumped out the material uh, on the bed. And they were looking through it. Oh, this one's pretty. And yeah, this is and so forth. And when they got to that third one, they dumped it out. And along with the material came out a little toy car. One of them picked it up and looked surprised. She looked over at the other one and they smiled at each other. And they, and they thought, what is the Lord doing? They took, they started piddling with it and they got one of the tires off. Took it over to the sewing machine put it in the sewing machine and the sewing machine lasted another 10 years God sees our hearts doesn't he he knows our needs even in the small what we would consider a small thing he's the good shepherd and he takes care of his sheep even in things as small as a toy car a rubber washer or a broken sewing machine we see in this passage today the heart of the Good Shepherd. His heart and love towards me and towards you and his ability to meet our needs. Well, I want us to look at the map now because the location has changed since chapter 5. If you remember, three major locations in Jesus' day, Judea, Samaria, Galilee, all of them considered to be Palestine, the Holy Land. Uh, Jerusalem is right in the middle of Judea and Nazareth is right in the middle there of Galilee now in chapter 5 the events took place down south in Judea in chapter 6 Jesus is back up in Galilee in that northern section and, uh, and about six months has passed from chapter 5 to chapter 6 um, the other gospel writers talk about the things that have happened. For instance, they talk about uh, uh, the fact that John the Baptist now has been put to death. You know, I told you last week in chapter 5, he was in prison under Herod. Now he has been put to death. And uh, so many things happened in those six months. And Jesus is now up in Galilee. So let's take a closer look at that upper section, Galilee. And uh, where this feeding of the 5,000 takes place is down below Bethsaida, which is uh, in that area where the circle just, uh, just went on. 
just on the sea side of the Sea of Galilee, almost directly across from Capernaum. The, uh, uh, at the widest place there, the Sea of Galilee is, um, is eight, feet, uh, eight miles wide, uh, a little over that. And so from where the feeding took place to Capernaum is about six miles. So there's the setting. Now here's a little overview of the two miracles together. We're only going to look at one today and we'll look at one next week. Uh, but this is miracle 4 and 5 in the book of John. Now many miracles have taken place. Please understand that. Uh, even on this day when the, when the feeding of the 5,000 takes place, the other gospels tell us he had healed all of their sick. So even on that day, many healings took place. When I say miracles 4 and 5, I'm talking about in the book of John. John only names seven miracles. That is besides the resurrection. But he names seven miracles. This is miracle 4 and 5 here uh, in this chapter. And here's the reasons. To display who he is. This, this miracle is sandwiched between two sermons on the subject of who Jesus is. That he is God in the flesh. Equal with God the Father. The Messiah. The, uh, uh, the Son of Man. The Son of God. All of those things. He's been teaching who he was before that miracle and now after that miracle. And so uh, to display who he is. But then secondly, to display his love and care. That he loves he loves his creation. He loves us as individuals. And uh, so the first miracle, he feeds the 5,000 to show his loving care and everyday needs. Like the food we eat, water to drink, a, a shelter to live in. And, uh, and if, we need, yeah, if we need a piece for a sewing machine or if we need a toy car, he, he sees and loves and meets our everyday needs. And then the second miracle, he walks on the water to show his loving care in the time of storms. We all go through times of storms. Many are going through those now. He shows his loving care for us in those storms. Now with that said, look back at your text and we're going to go through this verse by verse. Chapter uh, 6 and verse one, again, just gives us the setting. And two tells us it was a great multitude. Look at verse two. Great multitude followed him. Again, the other gospels tell us this had been going on all day. Healing the sick and teaching concerning the kingdom of God. So they had been listening with him. And they'd been with him now for a long time this day. And this was a large crowd too, by the way. This was, this was uh, the height of Jesus' popularity. He, this is where he reached his, the summit of uh, his followers. So this was a great number, 5,000, it tells us, men. Now the other Gospels tell us that's not counting women and children. So, of course, everybody estimates. Some people estimate as many as 20,000, and others estimate as low as 10. But 10 is, would be definitely on the low end. So when we say he fed 5,000, he actually fed 10,000. And uh, it was a miracle either way, but uh, uh, there was a great crowd there. And uh, he had healed. Notice the last part. They saw, uh, verse 2, he saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain. The other gospels tell us 
it was a hillside, so it wasn't a mountain in the sense of a, uh, you know, a great peaked mountain. It was the, a hillside, the side of a mountain. And, uh, and Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh, near. Two reasons probably John and the Holy Spirit included this would is that one, people would be, if it was very close, people would be traveling. So a lot of people would be out on the road and, and maybe stopping by this day to, to, uh, to hear Jesus preach and teach. But another reason is for the chronological order of things. So we know if it was the time of the Passover, we know it's about a year before Jesus will go to the cross and die for our sins and be raised from the dead. So it gives us a little bit of a timeline here. Uh, in chapter 6. Now verse 5 says, when, when Jesus lifted up his eyes and saw the great company come unto him, he said unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? Notice it says he lifted up his eyes and saw. He saw them. Back a few weeks ago, a month or two ago, I, I spoke about three different words in the Greek that are translated to see or saw. One of them means just a casual looking at to see. One of them meant a close, a studied look. It's where we get our word theater. Uh, when you go to a theater, you pay close attention. And it, it, the word carries with it the idea of perceiving and knowing and understanding. This is the word here. Jesus didn't just look out and see. He, look out, he looked out and he saw all 10,000 of those. And he saw the ones that were lonely. Some of them that were maybe way up in years and didn't think they had much life left. Others of them that were going through a difficult time with a divorce or a heartbreak of some sort or losing a loved one to death. Maybe some middle-aged people there who felt the weight and responsibility of earning a living and taking care of family and, and maybe things were not going as well as they had hoped and they felt that pressure and stress. He saw, he perceived, he understood the heart and mind of every one of those people. And so he does us. He sees your pain, your tears, your disappointment, your loneliness. This past week I went through and listened to all of our Pastor Connects again. And Pastor Jason, I don't know which week it was because I listened to all of them last week again. So, But Pastor Jason in one of his Pastor Connects talked about Hagar in Genesis chapter 16 and uh, Hagar of course was the the maid servant of Sarah and uh, remember Sarah come up with a plan we don't have heirs God wants us to have heirs and so she came up with a plan for Abraham to sleep with uh, Hagar and uh, Abraham foolishly agreed to it and uh, did so and she had a child well then Sarah became jealous and and uh, Hagar was jealous and and Sarah was the master and of Hagar and she treated her so terribly that Hagar went 
just ran away from home out into the wilderness out into the desert where everything was dry and dangerous and uh, there in the desert the Lord Jesus in a Christophany a theophany in this Christophany Jesus speaks to her and calls her by name Hagar he knew her he comforts her and speaks to her can you imagine how she must have felt alone how lonely she was how rejected she felt she probably grew up in the household of Sarah looked to Sarah like a mother but now she felt rejected and hurt and lonely unimportant small but then God called her by name wow think about it she named the, and by the way she did go back and follow the Lord's direction and will and she named the name of the place the God who sees me listen the Lord Jesus is the God who sees you he knows your pain your sorrow he knows your sin as well and your failure and loves us in spite of it and wants to forgive us and cleanse us and clean us up he saw them now the other past the other gospels tell us he was moved with compassion the word compassion means that he entered into their sorrow he could he could sense their sorrow and feel their sorrow and he had compassion upon them he has compassion upon us as well of course and so again verse 5 he lifted up his eyes and he saw the great company come unto him and he said unto Philip when shall we buy bread that these may eat now the other gospel writers tell us it was late in the day he had been preaching all day and healing the sick and now it's late in the day and there was no towns very close and uh, and so they were hungry what were they going to eat look at verse 6 and he said and this he said to prove him that is when he spoke to Philip what are we going to do where are we going to buy bread for he himself knew what he would do <laughs> the Lord always knows what he's going to do doesn't he and he never asks a question and he never tests us now we always are going through tests he never tempts us to to sin but in the middle of our testing Satan's always there trying to pull us in the wrong direction trying to get us to sin in the middle of our text uh, and uh, but he he tests us prove is the King James word here but if you've got a newer translation it'll say test he he tests us not so he can find out how we're doing you know in human realm teacher gives you a test the teacher wants to know how much you know Jesus already knows how much we know and how, how much we don't know but God tests us so that we can see how weak our faith is how much we know or how much we don't know and so he said this testing them to Philip Philip answered him two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient to them that everyone uh, might just take a little or a bite I mean if we had two hundred penny worth or denarii 
is the Latin word. And most translations, new translations, use denarii. Denarii is the plural. Uh, denarius is the single, singular, singular. And, uh, and so this was the one uh, denarius was what a worker was paid for a day's labor. So 200 is about eight months. So some of the paraphrase even, even put it like this. Uh, if we had eight months worth of money, we wouldn't have enough for everybody to take one bite. That's the thought here. And, uh, and so in, in, our, in our day, that dollar equivalent would be about $20,000. So in our day, someone, if it was the exact situation, they would say, even if we had $20,000, we wouldn't have enough for everybody to have one bite. And so Philip comes back with his answer. Meanwhile, Andrew is out looking in the crowd, seeing if he can find some food, gather up some food. And so uh, verse 8 says, One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which had five barley loaves. By the way, barley was the cheapest of all bread eaten by the poor. Five barley loaves and two small fishes. Not just fishes, but they were small. <laughs> and, uh, but then he concludes, but what are they among so many? Now, if you just read this casually, you may not see this, but if you, if you think about it, you can see kind of the panic that they are in. Philip is really not thinking. I mean, there, was, there was no villages very close. Let's say there's two or three villages within walking distance. Who's going to have enough food ready to feed 10,000 people? So even if you were carrying around $20,000 in your little purse that, that uh, you know, uh, Judas had. Judas carried the purse and he took out of it too. So uh, they, did, they didn't have $20,000. So this was not a suggestion. This was, uh, this was Philip saying, kind of in a panic, even if we had $20,000, it wouldn't be enough to, uh, for everybody to have one bite. And Andrew is not much different. He, he's saying, all I, food I could find was one little boy with five loaves and two fishes, small fishes at that. And, and of course, that's a hopeless thing too. Jesus knew what he was going to do, didn't he? He knew. He may have smiled a little bit at their responses. He wants us, he wanted them to see where their faith was. He puts us through tests so he, we can see how weak or strong our faith is. Now, what could they have said? I love the story of Jehoshaphat in uh, Second Chronicles and chapter 20. You remember the story, three armies were coming against Israel. Jehoshaphat was the king. And uh, uh, the forces were overwhelming. Three armies coming together, coming against Israel. And uh, Jehoshaphat prayed before the people, called the people together and prayed. And in that prayer, he said something like this he says 
We don't know what to do. But our eyes are upon you. Wow, what a prayer. And then the Holy Spirit moved on one of the other leaders. And uh, he stood up and said, Fear not. The battle belongs to the Lord. And so the next day, they, confident in the Lord, they sent out, before the army, they sent out singers singing praises unto the Lord. And the Bible says that when they begin to praise the Lord, then God caused the confusion in those three armies. And the three armies were confused on who was who, and they began to fight each other. And it was like a snowball rolling down a hill. It became an all-out war with each other, and they slew themselves. And Israel didn't have to raise a sword. God met the need. Jehoshaphat said, Lord, we don't know what to do. You ever get to that place? But our eyes are upon you. <laughs> just, just speculating, what if... What if Philip had said, and Jesus said, what are we going to feed them? What if Philip would have said, I have no idea, but I've seen who you are. You're the creator, and my eyes are upon you. I'm just going to watch you, Lord. Whatever you tell us to do, we'll do, but we're just watching you. Our eyes are upon you. <laughs> Andrew could have said the same thing. He could have come back and said, well, here's, and by the way, the loaves were not like a big old loaf of bread. The loaves were like a little pancake or like a little uh, uh, potato cake, maybe. Karen, Karen sometimes fixes potato cakes. I love them. But anyway, it was small, just a little round thing. Five loaves, we might say five pieces of bread. Five pieces of bread and two small fish. But Philip could have brought those up and said, Now, Lord, here's all I could find. What you going to do? Our eyes are upon you. Jehoshaphat was, to take New Testament terminology, Jehoshaphat was casting all of his cares upon the Lord. And that was serious concerns he had. He cast all of his cares upon the Lord, knowing the Lord cared for him, loved him. And so God instructs us to do that. In the midst of the troubled times and in the midst of the stressful times. And when we're being tested... And so, the this, this stage was set. Verse 9. Verse 10. And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there were much grass in the place, so that the men sat down in number about 5,000. Again, that's without women and children. We're told in the other Gospels that he had them set in groups. Groups of 50 and 100. So the food could be passed out in an orderly manner. And so they, they sat. And Jesus, verse 11, took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples. And the, and the disciples to them that were set down. And likewise, the fishes, as much as they would. And when, when they were filled, that is all the 10,000 people were filled. He said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost or nothing be wasted. That's the idea. Even when, even when omnipotence spreads the table, God doesn't want us to waste anything. And uh, so they gathered up the fragments. And uh, verse 13, Therefore they gathered them together and filled 
12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. So they started out with, with five pieces of bread and two little fish and fed, fed 10,000 and ended up with 12 baskets full. That's an amazing miracle, isn't it? It reminds us that God can meet our needs in any place out in a desert uh, when it looks like there's no human hope. Still, the Lord is on the throne and He can take care of His own. He's the good shepherd. The other Gospels tell us that when Jesus looked on them and had compassion, He looked on them as sheep having no shepherd. And He was there to be their shepherd. And so He is for us as well, meeting meeting those wonderful, uh, in a wonderful way, the needs of the people. Now, I don't know, we're not told in any of the Gospels how the miracle took place. We just don't know. We'll, we can ask that when we get to heaven one day. Whether it was when Jesus would, was breaking the bread, it just kept getting bigger and bigger, or whether, the, whether it just multiplied when he gave thanks, we don't know. But he passed it out to the disciples, and the disciples went down. Maybe they called one person out of every group of 50 come up. Now, I'm speculating. And that would come up. You feed the 50, your 50, and you feed your 50, and so forth, until all 10,000 of them were fed. What a miracle. Coming from this miracle, of course, will be Jesus teaching about himself as the bread of life. We'll look at that in the next couple of weeks. And so... Uh, this kid gave all that he had and the people ate. I'm just, again, thinking this through. What if, the, what if this young boy had, had only given half of his, what he had, half of his lunch? Now, he, his mother had probably packed that lunch for him and sent him out to listen to Jesus teach that day. And, and uh, what if he had only given half? Well, then he would have only had one fish and two and a half pieces of bread. But as it was, not only did Jesus use it to feed everybody else, but that, little, that boy could eat his fill. He might have eaten three or four fishes himself and, and four or five pieces of bread himself. He, got his, he, he was full because he gave his all. God wants us to give our all, not just half or part, but all unto him. Remember, remember what Jesus said in the, in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, uh, don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink or the clothes you're going to wear or money. And that. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Seek first. Make that the priority of your life. Living for. Seeking to understand and know and walk with the Lord. And these other things will be added unto you. Now, we come down to the close of this miracle. They get a basket for each apostle. That must have, that must have uh, strengthened their faith. It may have brought a little conviction too. Like, like oh yeah, we've, we've seen Jesus perform all these miracles. We should have known he could do something like this. I wish we had trusted him to start with. Actually, the, the group spoke together. Uh, not, in, not here, but in the other Gospels, it says the whole group that was of the uh, apostles and 
disciples there with him said, send them in the villages, send them away, send them away hungry so they can uh, try to find them something to eat. That was their answer. Jesus said, no, you feed them. And then look at verse 14. Then rose men when they had seen the miracle. See the word miracle there? By the way, liberal scholars like to... Uh, take the miracle out of this. Two of their main philosophies on this passage is that one, he didn't really feed everybody, but they only took a little bite and they did it like a, like a celebration of the Lord's Supper. Well, the Lord's Supper hadn't been instituted yet, so that's out of context in itself. But, uh, but, if, but if that happened, how did they take up 12 baskets? Why was the word miracle used? And then this is their favorite. The miracle is that when the little boy gave his lunch, it inspired everybody else out there that was carrying lunches in their robes and hiding it from everybody else. It inspired everybody else to, to, uh, uh, to share their their meal, and so there was enough to go around. Well, they had been there all day. If they'd had anything to eat, they'd have probably eaten it by then. And then again, that wouldn't have been a miracle. This miracle was so astounding that they're going to ask Jesus to do it, keep doing it, and keep feeding the nation of Israel the way Moses did back in the wilderness. This miracle was so astounding that they were going to take him by force and make him a king. So go back to verse 14. And, those, and then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of truth, uh, that prophet that should come into the world. In Deuteronomy 18, 15, Moses said, There is coming a, a prophet after me, like to me, greater than me. And, uh, and hear him when he comes. They're saying, this is the prophet. He worked this miracle of giving bread the way God did in the wilderness. And uh, notice then the next verse. Uh, and it says, of a truth, this is the prophet that should come into the world. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force and make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone so they wanted to make him the king anybody who could feed and you didn't have to work and so forth you could get fed that person ought to be the king and uh, what they wanted was a political leader who would lead them out from under the oppression of uh, of Rome they were looking they even thought the Messiah was going to be a political Messiah and uh, so now they wanted to make Jesus king. Well, Jesus didn't need them to, quote, make him a king. He was already king of kings and lord of lords. He was already the king of glory. He was already the king of the universe, the creator. He didn't need people to make him a king. He was already king. But he had no intention of being a political king in that day. One day he'll come back and sit upon the throne of David and rule as king over the world. And so he slipped away. Look at the next verse. And when Jesus therefore perceived that they come to take him by force and make him a king, he departed again unto a mountain himself alone. <coughs> Let's watch this.
clip together. It might have looked something like this. After this, Jesus went across Lake Galilee, or Lake Tiberias, as it is also called. large crowd followed him because they had seen his miracles of healing the sick. Jesus went up a hill and sat down with his disciples. The time for the Passover festival was near. Jesus looked around and saw that a large crowd was coming to him. Where can we buy enough food to feed all these people? He said this to test Philip. Actually, he already knew what he would do. For everyone to have even a little, it would take more than 200 silver coins to buy enough bread. Another one of his disciples, Andrew, who was Simon Peter's brother, said, There is a boy here who has five loaves of barley bread and two fish. but they will certainly not be enough for all these people. Make the people sit down. There was a lot of grass there, so all the people sat down. There were about 5,000 men. Jesus took the bread gave thanks to God. And distributed to the people who were sitting there. When they were all full, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces left over, 
Let us not waste a bid. So they gathered them all and filled 12 baskets with the pieces left over from the five barley loaves which the people had eaten. Seeing this miracle that Jesus had performed, the people there said, surely this is the prophet who was to come into the world. Jesus knew that they were about to come and seize him in order to make him king by force, so he went off again to the hills by himself. Wow, what a day that was. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, still meeting our needs as the good shepherd. What are you going through? What kind of testing are you going through? What kind of difficult time or hardship or stress are you going through? The Lord sees. He perceives. He understands. He knows you by name. He sees your problems and your tears. He's the God who sees. Give your all to the Lord like the little boy did. Let's give him everything we have. You might say, well, I don't have much to give. Let's just give him everything. It doesn't matter uh, how, small it, how small we are, how small our gifts may be. Let's give him everything we have. And then let's cast our cares on him like Jehoshaphat did. Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't know how we're going to work this out. But my eyes are upon you. I'm looking to you. I'm trusting you. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Realize I don't have to be afraid. The battle is the Lord's. And then begin to praise Him. Remember that's what they did in Genesis 16. And God gave the victory when they began to praise Him. So let's praise Him and keep praising Him. And keep trusting the Good Shepherd. He loves you like no other. Deeply and fully and completely.